All right, turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, the title of the message is called Thoughts on Worship. We're going to read verses uh, 19 through 25. There's a greater context there before that. I think most of you are familiar with the story of the woman at the well. We're going to pick up reading in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither worship the Father in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ, when he shall come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I am the one speaking to you. I think it's pretty obvious anybody just kind of like looks at just a general overview of history and, and even the history of your own life experience looking about how things go. But you can see the history of the world and read about the countless ideas and thoughts and methods concerning how that sinful human beings have worshipped, what they worship, who they worship, how they worship. And this, of course, is how religions are created. And there's a multiplicity of them. There's various religions out there. And... Um, you know, somebody that all of a sudden in their life, as they're growing up and, and start thinking for themselves, maybe when they remove themselves from their parents and they start thinking as an adult by themselves, serious thought, maybe if they have, maybe they have some kids, a lot of times that's when it happens, you know. Well, here another human being that, that came out of me, came into this world, and I'm responsible for telling them about this thing of worship whether or not to worship, who to worship, how to worship, and so on. And entering into that new idea or that, that challenge of figuring all that out, you know, a person that, that is not regenerated by the Spirit of God, does not have God-given faith, they're in a sea of confusion of all the stuff out there. We know that. We've talked to people like that. We continue to all the time. People that are questioning, you know, the purpose in life in connection to worship and whether or not there is a God. And, and if they believe there is a God, who is that God and how does that affect them? Even if they think they're in a special category, and most people do, if you talk to anybody, they're always in a special category. Even, even we think we're individually in a special category because we want to make distinctions about what we like and how we think. 
and everybody is. This is kind of a political joke. Everybody in a certain way is like a snowflake, right? We don't want to be certain types of snowflakes. But everybody's different in the way that they think. So the idea is we have to get to the truth of the matter. So those that think they're in a special category, and when I'm, when I'm saying this in this context, I'm removing them from religion. They want to say, well, uh, I, I don't have to feel obligated to worship something or someone outside of myself. Uh, I don't believe in God or gods. I don't, I don't have to choose them or I choose not to know or I admit that I don't know. That's what an agnostic is. They say they don't know. They can't nail it down. Some people use that uh, conveniently so that they don't have to look into it. You know, they say, I don't know. People keep asking them. And, you know, 50 years later, I don't know. They hadn't even thought about it but a half dozen times in between the 50 years. You know what I mean? So that's a convenient little thing to hide behind. But um, there was a rock and roll group named Rush. And uh, the drummer wrote the lyrics to a song called Free Will. And he wrote this. Growing up is my favorite band. And that guy's my favorite drummer. So, but I disagree with him here. A couple lines out of that song. He says, if I choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. I will choose the path that's clear. I will choose free will. That's a popular song, a popular couple of lines in that song. And a lot of people think that way. They, they think they've removed themselves from accountability that way because they're autonomous by themselves, independent from God, not accountable to God. They have just set up their own self as their own God, and they are a will worshiper. Scripture uses that phrase even in Colossians. There are a, a varieties of fleshly idolatries that people get caught up in besides gods, a god or gods. They're, they're fleshly things that people get caught up in and just an everyday life practical matter. And, and, we, and we have temptations to do the same thing. And we have tendencies unless we are guided by the spirit and keep these things in check. But sometimes people go outside the bounds of moderation and get caught up, allow to be taken over by or they're given over to all kinds of things, which can be going in the direction of idolatry. We've talked like this before and you've heard other people talk like this, saying that somebody has made an idol out of something. They're caught up in it. And we, we've got to be careful, you know, not to do that. Uh, I just jotted down some quick things. Uh, money, career, politics, fame, power, sports, family, hobbies, entertainment, drugs, animals. Anything can become an idol if you allow it in your mind and it can grow and overtake focus and priority in your life. And that's just naming a few things there. I mean, you could go on and on and on and, and give examples. And some of you know in your own minds the things you have a tendency to think about too much and distract you from the important things in your life. So even as believers, we have that potential and we have to not be given over to things that would distract us from Christ. We know that we have to live in this world, right? We're, we are in the world, but we are exhorted in the scripture not to be part of the world. We have to 
be around family. We have to go around in society and be around people. We have to go to work. We have to, we have to do all these things that even the unbelievers do. But the scripture says, be not of the world. And even that phrase right there in the scripture, be not of the world, you'll ask 10 different uh, religious people what that means. You'll get 10 different answers. And we've, we've talked about what that means in times past. Whether it be the immorality of the world or the, the influence of the age or the religion of the world, it includes a lot of things. We just need to listen to what the word of God tells us in all things in our life and um, watch out for what the world outside the worldly council tells us what to do. So as we live in this world as believers, we need to consider what is it to worship God. That's what we're going to try to get at this morning. And we know that justified believers are the only human beings on this earth. Justified believers are the only human beings on this earth that worship God. Everybody else either uh, they have some form of idolatry in their mind, whether they worship themselves, worship something outside themselves, or have a false God that has deceived them. Now, we saw the word worship several times in the text that we read. The meaning of the word worship is to, to kiss like a dog licking its master's hands, to crouch, that is to prostrate oneself in homage, doing reverence or adoring something or someone. So those are kind of the ideas there. I could throw in, well, we saw reverence. You see in scripture, a lot of times the word fear is used this way. And this is the good way that fear is used, that we fear God. We see him as an awesome God. We reverence him, respect him, and we fear him in an honorable, respectful, reverential way. So as we worship, we think of God in this way and we express it in our minds as we look to him to worship. So as we consider anything that we're thinking about in, in, in our body of believers here, we must consider it in truth. This is obvious. And the only authority of truth we have is the word of God. Now, I'm going to read Three verses real here quick and just quote them. Most of you know them by heart. John 17, 17, Christ is praying in his high priestly prayer right before his death. He says, referring to his people, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So we're looking into this idea of worship and we want to see the truth of it from the scriptures. And the word sanctify means set apart. Sanctify them through your truth. So these thoughts we have about worship need to be set apart in our mind concerning the truth that's revealed to us in the word of God. Think of everything that way as we examine anything in the scripture concerning, you know, ourselves, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, the ministry, whatever. We know also that the scripture says the just shall live by faith. So as we look at these things in truth, we do it by faith. Believing what God says, presupposing that everything God says about it is true. We, by the Spirit of God, are given an understanding to see and read and know these things and even grow in them and learn. I mean, I know a lot more about worship today than I knew 30 years ago. And um, 
we know that we just said to just live by faith. We know also Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So initially, God given faith comes by in the context of hearing the gospel and believing it. We know that uh, th there is growth as we study the word of God. We get more faith. We grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We become stronger in the faith and we should be able to communicate these ideas better as time goes on. So let's consider a few things and, and I want to stress a few things because uh, this list here is not exhaustive. And um, here are just a few. Who is to be worshipped? Who is commanded to or obligated to worship God? How is God to be worshipped? What is the difference between those who worship the true God and who worship something else? Was there a notable change in worship before and after salvation, your, your own personal experience? In your life, before you were a believer, what you thought before you were a believer, is your worship different now? since you became a believer. How are believers to uh, incorporate worship into their life on a daily and weekly basis? And then we want to look at also some warnings of unacceptable worship. All right, look there in our text, John 4:19. The woman says, Speaking to Christ, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. He asked some things about her personally. He asked for some water. He told her about the living water. Talked about her husband or husbands. She got a clue that he kind of knew something kind of more than the normal person. And then she makes this statement here. I perceive or understand or I'm thinking that uh, I got a clue that you you're you're not just some normal dude. You're a prophet. And then she says this. She makes a statement. She says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So right away, she. Emphasizes a place. Of worship. A lot of people do that. I mean, when you talk about church, a lot of people think about buildings. You know, we meet in this rented schoolroom here. And people on the camera can't see what's back here, but it's just a schoolroom. You know, it's a modest, non-religious looking room. But a lot of people have the idea that church is not church unless it has all the religious fixings, you know, all the religious trappings that make you feel spiritual when you come in church. You know, the crosses and the religious furniture, candles, or uh, we don't have stained glass. You know, the things that make people feel, it's about feelings, right? So they have to feel religious. So a lot of people look at a place of worship and the things that are in that place. And as I've uh, talked about before, you know, my goal has always been to remove those things out of the place so that we worship God alone through what he tells us 
about himself, not with things that religious trinkets that we might pick up, whether they be, uh, you know, little um, superstitious things we might carry around our neck or in our pocket and rub and count and, and say some type of a mantra toward, you know what I mean? That's just religion. Let me quote uh, a verse from uh, Malachi 1.11. It says, For the rising of the sun, even to its going in, my name shall be great among the nations. And everywhere incense shall be offered to my name. Pure food offering and my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In the context of this, you can go back later and check it if you want. It's Malachi 1.11. He's He's talking about you know, the people of Israel, how that he's, he's fed up, he's tired of their offerings, you know, and they're not acceptable offerings. And here it talks about the nations. Sometimes the word nations is interpreted or translated world or heathen, sometimes uh, referring to Gentiles. So God is a God that is, uh, we're, in, we're in the time, we're in the, past the transition between old and new covenant and God is wide open. There is no, he's no respecter of persons. So there is not a special people in reference to culture or race or anything like that. All, all these divisions, there's nothing there anymore. Faith is of course only going to be given to the elect and those elect come out of every kindred tongue, tribe and nation. So, in other words, the Jews don't have, they don't corner the market on the truth. Uh, listen to a religious radio station just for entertainment this week in the car. They were talking about Israel. They were going on and on and on about Israel, about how, you know, the dispensational view of Israel and all that that entailed. And when you, when you don't really listen to that you haven't heard it for like six months to a year and it comes back on you're reminded i mean i used to be in that stuff and i'm out of it now but that has to do with worship that has a, a bias of these people are different they're talking about the wrong israel god's people are the israel of god those that are circumcised of the heart those that believe the promise that abraham believed of salvation conditioned on christ alone so that ties into worship. There's so many things that tie into worship, this whole idea of worship. And uh, that came to mind uh, this week when I was cruising in the, in the car. Look at uh, Colossians. Keep your place there, maybe, and we'll come back. Uh, look at Colossians chapter 2. And I want to read, starting in verse 13, we uh, ended up on this verse a couple weeks back as we were going through the verses preceding this. Colossians 2.13, you'll remember this verse when I read it, hopefully. And you being dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. And I really didn't get this far the other day. I think I read these couple verses, but, um, but now I want to emphasize these verses in this topic concerning worship. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting and ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, 
he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, which of course he is in authority over, we read that in the context in those messages, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, in this task of nailing this, these, all these things to the cross that were against us. He did it openly, made an open show of it. And triumph, he triumphed in it by doing it. And we, that should cause us to worship. That does cause us to worship. Let no man, therefore, because of this, let no man, therefore, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day, of a new moon or Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. So some things listed there are what religious people like to like to look at in, a, in an outward way. We've already looked at several times about how religions deal with with meat and drinks. Uh, or days, certain special days. Not going to spend too much time on that today, but religion, they make a big deal about some of those things. These things are just a shadow of things. Verse 18, let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You can... You can go on and on and on about different examples of religions, how that superstition is infused into them. And they are they are shown to be out of focus, off track, worshiping the wrong thing for the wrong reason. And verse 19, and not holding the head, capital H, speaking of Christ, from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, Increased with the increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Religion, basically, here we can just say, we've talked about this before, how that re most religion today is basically a group of people that have a set of rules of what you can taste not, touch not, and handle not. Just a bunch of legalistic things that fall under, notice verse 22, the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, we read in the word of God what to stay away from. There are some clear things. We shouldn't look at something in the Word of God says, don't do this, and then try to apply it here. Can't, you can't make that work. <laughs> God tells us certain things not to touch, not to handle in certain contexts. But here the emphasis is the world's philosophy, the world's influence, the world's religion, and things that the world says under the, commandment, the heading of the commandments and doctrines of men not to do in order to 
to get righteous, stay righteous, be righteous, maintain your righteousness, and so on. That's what false religion is all about. Do you have a righteousness that answers the demands of God's law and justice? That's what you ask the religious person. If they say yes, somebody that believes the false gospel will just, all they'll do is talk about taste not, touch not, handle not. Guarantee you. That's what will come out. Nothing to do with grace. Verse 23. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in the honoring and satisfying of the flesh. So there's kind of a, a general statement there. I want to talk about how that you can see religious people and they're they're off on their whole focus of what it's all about. And they're they're tied up in things that we have been removed from now that we are believers. We've been delivered from those ideas of false religion. And, and now that we have been, we need not look down our noses at those people because we used to be those people. And also at the same time, we should be on guard to not let those things creep in and, and influence us to be drawn back into the commandments and doctrines of men. Here's one other verse I want to quote. You don't have to turn there. You're very familiar with it. We did a message not too long ago about it. And this ties directly into our context in John 4. Philippians 3.3. 3. We are the circumcision. Now, right before that, Paul warns of the concision party, the mutilators. Those that he warned about in the book of Galatians that would bring in certain ceremonies and rites from the Old Covenant, circumcision being one, days being another, and certain foods, stuff that we had just covered in the, the Colossians reading. They would bring these in to have confidence in their flesh because they were touch not, taste not, handle not with these things. And Paul says, watch out for these people that promote that stuff. He called them dogs which is something they used to call, the Jews would call Gentiles, dogs. Paul flipped around and called them dogs. And then he says, we are not them, but we are the circumcision. As I mentioned earlier, the true circumcision that uh, of the heart. You know, the, the old heart's been taken out, we've been given a new heart. In other words, not referring to circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart, the mind. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. That's what it said in John, in our text. And what else do we do? We rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That's a distinction there. This verse is a, is a pretty good test. When you deal with somebody and you're kind of checking them out and making sure that you have unity and doctrine and things in common, you know, do they worship God in the spirit? Do they rejoice in Christ Jesus? And do they have no confidence in the flesh? Those are some tests, you know, really kind of that you can look at in your conversations with them concerning. So there's a there's a clear distinction made by Paul about the old covenant having ended. That method of worship there versus the clarity of of the message in the New Testament about worshiping the mediator of the new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So there's that distinct break. And you, you, can look at, you can look at this subject in several different ways. You could run it through several different filters. And, you know, you got to start somewhere. And we know that a big distinction is Old Covenant, New Covenant. Connecting that to the place. This lady said, our people worshipped in the mountain. You, you say your people worship in Jerusalem. So back in the Old Covenant time, there was a place. Verse 21 of our text says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither worship the Father in this mountain nor at Jerusalem. Either one. You just, you just told me two examples. And I'm telling you, neither one really matters. And here's one of the reasons why. You can turn if you want to, Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Some of you may know what I'm going to read already. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. That's a place, right? Old covenant. It's an old covenant item. It's a place of worship. He went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Verse 2, and Jesus said unto them, Do you not see all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Christ is talking about a couple decades later, a few decades later, that this temple is pretty much saying this temple is going to be destroyed. Don't look to a place. Don't put your trust in a place. You know, going back to the Israel idea, I was just talking about a second ago. Talk about Israel being the Holy Land. You know, I, I talk to people that, that don't know me and know what I believe, and they find out I'm involved in the church, and, and maybe they're fascinated with the Israel thing. Hey, you ever been over the Holy Land? Wouldn't you like to go to the Holy Land? You know? Bring back a little vial of some sand or something, you know, from the, or some water from the Jordan River. That's idolatry. There's nothing holy about that land. It's about as holy as we had a leak in our uh, septic tank a couple years ago, and it overflowed. We got it fixed because it was like not good. There's no difference between that contaminated dirt in my backyard than a piece of dirt over there. Nothing special about dirt anywhere. It's ridiculous. I don't think people stop and think and, you know, try to get something out of the scripture and to feed their mind to get, get an answer about a place. It's not about a place. Christ was saying this this. This place, this temple, it's going to be destroyed. Not going to be one stone left upon another. You're looking at all the beautiful stones. You got your faith in this place. It's going to be done. He talked to some other religious people right before he died. He says, you know, destroy this temple. I'll raise it up in three days. He thought they were talking about that same building. He's talking about his body of his temple. They were, they were out of it. Just like everybody in, in, that he talked to was out of it, like we were before we were believers. The, here's the lady about the water that we're dealing with. She thought of talking about H2O. 
he talked to somebody else in John about bread. They're thinking a loaf of bread, you know what I mean? And it, and it goes on and on and on. Getting the physical mixed up with the spiritual. What, the chapter before, you must be born again. What, I got to I gotta go up in my mom's womb and come back out? See what I mean? At every turn, a confusion about mainly a place or a thing. No, no spiritual conception of what's going on. That's why... As Christ said to Nicodemus, you got to be born again, born again to see. So let's see the ridiculousness of all this. And at the same time, remain humble because we used to hold to that garbage. God has taught us. So let's be patient as we're talking to other people. And a lot of these things, they're very, very simple concepts. And uh, people, they, they kind of get into hearing them when you kind of open them up for him just because you can say that Christ is was talking about himself versus a loaf of bread doesn't mean that they're going to be converted hearing that but I think intellectually they can see oh I see the difference you know you got to start someplace when you're talking about stuff so when they ask me if I want to go over there to the holy land that's sometimes that's where I start if God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Christ. Here's the phrase, for example, cross. We're not talking about that wooden, whether it be a tree or stake or whatever, whatever it was. We're not talking about getting a splinter of that and superstitiously understand that's what they used to do. And they would like get like locks of hair or teeth from the apostles or Mary or just different things. And it would be like a sort of like a circus show traveling like Ripley's Believe It or Not. Like, look at all these trinkets. You know, you've heard about them. Now come see them. You can touch them. That would be something to touch not right there. Right. Touch not handle not. Eat this Jesus cookie. The priest has done his magic and it's actually Jesus. Don't taste that. Don't taste it. OK, that's a that's a taste not right there. Seriously. So. There are, from what I understand right now, there's some foolish people that are uh, trying to construct. Some of you might know more about it than me. The, the temple over there in Jerusalem, trying to set that back up and try to establish everything. I mean, they're raising the cattle to, to do some of the sacrifices. And there's just getting crazy over there trying to bring that back. And some people under the umbrella of Christianity think it's a good idea. They think it's there's something going on there that's like some of them probably contribute to the, the funds to get it done. It's merely an extension of the wicked mind to try to bring back this this and keep in place this what's commonly called Judeo Christianity. Here's something out of Hebrews nine. Listen to this. Twenty four. Hebrews 9.24, for Christ did not enter into holy place made with hands. He did not enter into the holy places made with hands, which was a figure of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So this verse, a positive verse that emphasizes that it is not a place negatively that we're trying to say, don't emphasize a place of worship. He entered into the holy place, not made with hands. 
So it's not about a building. It's not about a, uh, a temple in, in the sense that religious people talk about. Back in our text, verse 22, Jesus said, You worship what you don't know. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews. So there's a lot. He's saying you're ignorant. That's what he's saying. You don't know what you're doing or saying about this topic. I mean, that was already clear by the discussion about the water. Go to Acts 17. I want us to see a couple things there. Acts 17 and verse 23. I, I think so far the theme ha, has been kind of on the negative side that there's a lot of ignorance about worship. And to, to fix that, we need to get to the word of God that tells us everything about how are we to think about worship. Verse 17. For as I passed by and saw the things you worship... I also found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, not knowing then whom you worship. I make known him to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. There's a reiteration. Paul reiterates what, what Christ has said about don't emphasize a place. It's not about a building. It's about Christ. Verse 25, nor is served, this, this God that I'm talking about, is not served with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he's the one that gives life and breath and all things to all. God doesn't need anything. He's, his character attributes are such that shows he doesn't need anything. He's independent. You're going to give him power? He's all-powerful. Uh, he doesn't change. So if there's one point in time where he says, I don't need anything, that's not going to change, right? There's all kind of things you could, you could weave ideas through the attributes of God to show that he doesn't need anything from people. We worship him. He desires our worship, but he has caused that to take place in the first place. We're going to get to that toward the end. It said in our text that he seeks such to worship him in spirit and truth. So I don't want us to, to think from the get-go that he's, he's like going, I, I can't find anybody to worship me. How come I can't get anybody on board to worship me? And he's like, Wringing his hands, anthropomorphic term. He's wringing his hands, saying, oh man, there's more people worshiping false gods that are worshiping me. How can I, you know, as if like it's more likes on Facebook or something. You know what I mean? God doesn't need, God is the cause of bringing people to himself to worship him. So he doesn't, nor serve with men's hands as though he needed anything. He's the, he's the giver of life and breath to all, of all things to all people. Verse 26, he has made all nations and men of one blood to dwell on the face of the earth, ordaining and foreappointing the seasons and the boundaries of their dwelling. 
Sounds like he controls some stuff, doesn't it? Sounds like he has predestinated and he providentially controls all things. People, weather, seasons, boundaries. We know that it's a lot more than that. We know that. And he does this to seek the Lord. If perhaps they might feel after him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also certain of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. What he's saying there, Paul is not quoting the poets with some authority that's on equal par with scripture. He's saying to these people that had an altar to the unknown God, even some of your poets are coming close to saying the same thing that I'm saying by the authority of the word of God. Man is made in God's image. We know ourselves, believers, that we are the adopted children of God. We are his children through adoption. And the unbelievers are under the authority of God and created in his image still, even though that image is uh, affected by the fall, he has authority over them, he has authority over all flesh, and they are still, even in a fallen state, they bear the image of God. Verse 29, them being the offspring of God, we ought not to think of the Godhead is like gold or silver or stone or engraved by art of man's imagination. So he's smacking up against idolatry here. Of course, he's talking to some idolaters who had all these different altars and idols to these gods. He's bringing that out, that we're not to think of him that way. He's giving them information about the unknown God, the one they didn't know. He's filling that information and he's putting it in that designation because it fits. They don't know who he is. And they didn't build that altar because they foresaw that I'm going to build this altar to this guy that I don't know that Paul's going to tell me about. Paul used that. He says, yeah, you don't know this guy. Let me tell you about him. He's mine. And he starts telling him about this God and who he is and what he has done and what he will do. Truly then, uh, verse 30, God overlooking the times of ignorance. Now he strictly commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness by a man, Christ, whom he has appointed, having given proof to all by raising him from the dead. So here's just kind of a snapshot of some talk about some truth about the apostle going over with some of these people that were off on worship. And he's correcting some things. And you see this all over the scripture uh, in the Old Testament also. You see all these, these snapshots here and there. And you, if you collect them all, it's worth what we're trying to do is just in general, collect them all and just kind of give a basic general look at what is worship. Back in verse 23, we're, we're about done here for today. But the hour is coming and now is. Don't, don't miss that second part. And now is, right now, when the true worshipers, 
those would be laid up against the distinction of false worshipers, right? In contradistinction. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for or because the Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This might be a good time to stop here. It's going to be a part two thing, so uh, I'm going to pick up there. We'll reread those two verses and uh, start there uh, next week. That'll be the plan. Now, some things, you know, I, I had had some thoughts early on uh, as, a, as a believer uh, about this topic that really helped me out. Of course, I, I don't know how I can't get in everybody's head and ask them what they thought about this topic after they were converted. Sometimes people are converted and they might be in a real strict, formal uh, group that that retains a lot of rigid uh, liturgy and some things that might be leftover remnants of, of a false church. So the, the atmosphere of worship when it comes to public worship or the atmosphere of worship within a home. You know, some people have, you go to certain homes and they have almost like... Um, shrines set up in parts of the houses or they have religious pictures or you know they just try to incorporate and saturate all kind of religious themes and if they think well if i can surround myself with religious themes i'll, I'll, I'll be able to do this christian life thing better you know and, and sometimes they'll bring that into the church so they're they're thinking well at least i'll get two hours of these religious things every week and it's like a little pep rally with these things i can Immerse myself, and then I'll come home and I'll be around those things again. You know what I mean? Uh, some people have things in their car, you know, little superstitious bobbleheads. I don't know, stuff hanging from the mirror. All kind of stuff goes on. But after uh, I was converted, very, very quickly, um, that stuff left a really, really bad taste in my mouth. And some people helped me out that taught me more about that. And I, I kind of emphasize that and made sure that as I went along and was talking with people, I spotted that and kind of like said, drop, drop those things. You don't need those things. And um, in other words, the simplicity of worship should be a part of our, of our everyday life in here. And we'll get more into that next week, but I think that's kind of basically what led me this week because I ran into a conversation about worship uh, this past week. And I saw some people that were blurring the simplicity of worship. And when I say simplicity, I'm not talking about depth of worship because, you know, we worship a deep God. We can we can uh, we don't have the time and a hundred lifetimes to talk about how great he is, the things he has done. The Gospel of John says that the books were written concerning Christ. The world couldn't contain the books. And I believe that. So I'm not talking about simplistic in like we're, we're shallow. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about not getting bogged down with religious trappings all surrounding us. You know what I mean? There's a difference in what I'm, what I'm trying to say here. Now, some of you have had different religious backgrounds. Um, we know some are extreme, like uh, the Catholic Church has a lot of you know, religious trappings. And, and some are, are more simplistic, like kind of like how we got things running here. And then there's some in between. But it's important to keep our minds on Christ and not things, religious things, in reference to our worship. And yet we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world in this, in this conversation. So we have to be wise and study. And it's just like rummaging through uh, your stuff at home. Keep this, get rid of this, keep this. You know, anything that comes in our mind. As they say, keep the meat and throw away the bones. And if somebody has a, has a, a different format or style of worship... Just in a style. I'm not going to condemn them. If somebody has a certain style of music that is maybe a little bit more contemporary than us, if they use instruments, don't use instruments, if you could go on and on and give examples. I'm not going to, and we can't because there's freedom to a certain extent. Romans 14 talks about this. Liberty to, by the word of God and your conscience, and by the spirit of God, dictates what you do and how you operate. I'm not going to have some other church come in here and tell us what to do, nor am I going to go to another church and tell them what to do. If somebody asks me, I'll be glad to talk about it. Probably too much. But um, I'll give you my opinion. Main thing, focus on Christ. Anything that's distracting from Christ, if it's in this room, we need to get rid of it. If it's in your house, probably get rid of it. If it's in your mind, most importantly, because you carry that thing around wherever you go, get rid of it. If it's an idea, that's, that's what I'm getting at. If it's an idea, toss it. Any questions or comments?